0: Welcome to RenewCast, the podcast of Renew Education. I'm Noah Brink, and in today's episode, we're going to talk about spiritual formation, one of the phrases or topics that is increasingly being used in Christian education circles. Several weeks ago, we spent some time together talking about the importance of schools being very intentional when it comes to the vocabulary of the school, Having everyone on the same page and understanding how we use terms and what they mean in the lives of our school. Similarly, last week we talked about the importance of having clear understanding of what we mean when we say being college preparatory. Well, today we are going to talk about spiritual formation. Increasingly, I'm hearing and seeing schools talking about it. It's showing up in accreditation. It's showing up in even some of the hirings that some of our Christian schools are doing. They're hiring positions specifically dedicated to spiritual formation, a director of uh, spiritual formation, or something along those lines. I see Christian school workshops at our different conferences being dedicated to it. It's a topic that's important. I, I think it's obvious why Christian schools are paying attention to it. Spiritual formation, how do we go about it? I believe it's so important that next week we're going to be talking about spiritual formation as well. So I want to dedicate two episodes to spiritual formation. This will be the first of our two episodes that we address towards spiritual formation. I want to even talk there about the the word itself, the vocabulary, the formation. Uh, Knit in the very core of that is this word form formation we're looking at how students are formed and at, at the base level we have to understand that that education is all about formation that's what we do it's not just ideas that we want to make sure our students know we're not just teaching ideas and topics and information gk chesterton says that education isn't just about ideas. It's actually a transfer of a way of life. That that's what true education is about. It's a transfer of a way of life. And especially in Christian education circles, I think it's important for us to ask the question, well, what kind of a way of life are we wanting to make sure is transferred to our students? What does it mean to live well? What does it mean to be God-honoring? What does it mean to be Christian? What are we after when we begin to think about the sort of student that we want to see our students become? Spiritual formation. It's worth us talking about that today. When we look at formation, and we think about all the different types of formation that we're running after, it's important for us to realize that At all times, students are being formed. I years ago read a book where the author of it said he really wishes that he had the ability to walk around with um, a sticker that said on it, insert soul here. And that he wanted to just slap it on everything he came across, in part because he wanted people to understand that at all times, your soul is being engaged. And I think that's very much the case here. And let's talk about this word formation once again. And I'm going to focus just on two words that are we after conformity, when we talk about that word form, when we plan out the total curriculum of our school, both the formal and the informal curriculum of our school, even there in informal and formal, you're you're, you're dealing with that word form. Both the very intentional things that we do and the stated things we do, and even the unstated things we do, those are part of the formation that we are about in the lives of our schools. And I believe that not only the stated curriculum, but even the unstated curriculum, those are very much a part of what is shaping our students. The culture is part of the curriculum of our school. The community is part of the curriculum of the school. And those are things that are shaping our students. It's not just what is happening in our classroom or chapels. It's on the field of competition. It's on the stage. It's in the art classroom. It's sitting at the potter's wheel. Formation is happening. And when you think about formation, do we want just conformity? Or do we want transformation? Obviously, we look at the way the Bible talks about conformity, where we understand that Christians long to be conformed to the image of Christ. But I fear that often in the lives of our schools, much of the conformity we're after is shaping students to simply just be conformed to a worldly standard. We just want them to go along with the program. I'm all for a program. I think schools have to be very intentional about this sort of program that we have, but far too often students realize that in order for them to make it through the life of school, they just need to conform. Well, once again, I'm all for conformity if at the heart of that conformity is the person of Jesus. But unfortunately, far too often, conformity looks like making sure your shirt is tucked in. Now, I think having your shirt tucked in is quite acceptable. I'm from the South. I I believe that there are sort of there are these ways that we want to see uh, people dress, and even that I think often we have uniforms because we want to see conformity. I'm not opposed to conformity. But I think that far too often we stop there that we say, as long as they conform, we're we're good. And I would say the whole purpose of conformity is because we want to see transformation. We want to see change. You say, well, why why transformation? Do we really need to see that much change? Well, obviously, if we believe in our students being sinners, and we believe that our natural sinful tendency is not to conform to the image of Christ, that we should be people that are running after transformation. We want to see change. That when we think about the life of our school and we say, well, what would be the portrait of a graduate? I know that's one of those commonly used phrases in the lives of our schools. Transformation should be part of that. We should see change. There should be a difference between what the student was like and what the student became as a result of being a part of our school. You know, far too often schools will say, our students graduated and this percentage of them uh, are going to college, and these are the sorts of scholarships, and this is the total volume of scholarships our students got, and this is the average ACT score that our students got, and all those things, and I'm, I'm always curious, well, do we care to describe what the student would have been like had they not been in our school. Can we, on any level as a school, describe what role the school had in bringing about those things? And we like to talk about these successes, but I'm always curious, has the school done any work to say, we have an understanding of, here is the role that the school has played in that, that we have helped to bring about change? And at the end of the day, I think we all have to come to agreement that we need to see lasting change in the lives of our students. We don't want to just see conformity. I think of my role as a dad. I can get my children to conform. I can get them to say, yes, sir, and no, sir, and yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. I can get them to conform to that. It's... it's essentially about finding the right stick or carrot in order to get them to do those things. But saying yes sir or no sir or yes ma'am or no ma'am, those are always there intended because we want, I, I want my child to be polite. I want them to show respect. I want them to appreciate the wisdom of those around them, that that's the goal And a student could very easily, a child could very easily say, yes, sir, and despise the person that he or she is saying, yes, sir, to. You see, I want them to have a heart change, not just to jump through hoops, that externally they've conformed to the image I've put in front of them. I think that's once again why schools are using this phrase, spiritual formation, not physical formation, which obviously even the physical formation is part of what we're about. The mental or cognitive formation are something that we want to talk about as well. In Christian education, we're concerned about the mind and the heart and the body, the spirit. How do we nurture, how do we form the spirit of our child, of our students? What will be the things that we put in place in the life of our school To nurture spiritual formation. And even what does that mean in the life of your school? Does it merely mean that you have chapel? Does it merely mean that you have Bible classes and that your students learn a bunch of Bible verses? You know, a student could very easily understand a whole lot of Bible verses and what those mean, and have them tucked away in memory. And and even as Christians, people that love the Bible, we believe that those are good because we understand the value of having God's Word tucked away in our hearts. But a student could memorize catechism and all these different, the fruits of the Spirit, and a lot of these different, the books of the Bible in order. I think even at one time in my uh, journey as a teacher, And I'm still shocked that they had the capacity to do it, but I had a bunch of sixth-grade students that they could recite the kings and queens, or the kings of uh, Judah and Israel, in order. We worked on that, and they were able to memorize them. They could do it because uh, humans and the way that God has created us in His image, the sorts of things that students can memorize is remarkable. But just because they memorized the kings of Judah and Israel in order— doesn't mean they see those things as beautiful, that they've understood why God chose to recount all of those things for us in his revelation. Spiritual formation. How are we gonna go about in the life of our school? What would be the way that we begin to talk about we've succeeded in those areas? What's success? How do we assess? whether or not we are making progress in the area of spiritual formation. So that's why I want to spend some time talking about that. What are we after when we say spiritual formation? Are we after merely conformity? That our students have looked a certain way and externally demonstrated that they know some Bible verses... Or are we after transformation, and are we willing to say that in order to begin to make success in the area of spiritual formation, we've got to take the long-game approach where we're going to begin to survey alumni maybe 10 years down the road and see if it's sticking? Because once again, if you get students to be able to memorize some verses and attend a bunch of Bible classes, and yet years down the road, our students are not in church and even further down the road, show no evidence of enrolling their own children back in Christian schooling, wouldn't those be some external evidences that would say, maybe this didn't stick the way that we thought it was? I think that we need to be willing to ask ourselves some honest questions that may reveal some things that show that we have a lot more work in the area of spiritual formation. I want to focus on one passage of Scripture, one that probably many of you are very well aware of. Micah 6.8 is a verse that I've memorized from my, probably my elementary age and then was renewed in middle school and probably high school and then even in college. "'He has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God.' It's an often referenced passage because it's this succinct understanding of what God wants from us. What I think though is important for us is to understand the context of it. Micah is asking uh, in the verses that precede it, God, what do you want of us? Do you want us to sacrifice more? Do you want us to even make greater sacrifices? He even asks the question, should I sacrifice the our firstborn, thousands of rams, what do you want? In essence, Micah is saying, God, what do we have to do in order for you to be happy with us? What do we have to do to appease you? It's this sort of a transactional question. If we do X, will you give us Y? What do you want? And what's remarkable is God says, essentially, I want you to love what I love. And I want a relationship with you to do justice. And even that word right there, as we understand justice throughout the context of the Old Testament and into the New Testament, justice isn't just about fairness. It's about treating people with the dignity they deserve. The way that the prophets of old talked about justice is often demonstrated in care for the poor, care for the widows, Care for others is about justice. So, when you look at justice, it's not just about doing the right thing. It's about caring about the right thing. It's about caring about people. It's about caring about God's law and seeing it as good and delighting in it. But more than that, it's loving mercy. It's about loving mercy. You say, well, I love mercy. Well, if I love mercy, then I would love mercy even when it's shown to people that I don't think should deserve mercy. But right there, that's what mercy is. Mercy is something that we don't deserve. It's about forgiveness. It's about joy in forgiveness. Well, you only begin to find joy in forgiveness, and you find joy in mercy and find love in mercy when you begin to understand the reality of our need for it that christians are people that not only they delight in justice but they're people who love mercy because they understand their absolute dependence upon mercy you see right there we begin to understand a big part of spiritual formation You can't see success in the area of spiritual formation if there's not growth in an understanding of how deeply we need Jesus. He has shown you a man, not just more sacrifice, not just more doing, but to be about justice, to be huge fans of mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Walking with God. God. It's a relational term. What would it look like to walk with God? Is it just that you happen to say a bunch of yes sir and no sir and make good grades and you're on different leadership things? You could do all of those things and not be walking with God. What would be the evidences that someone is walking with God? I went to a school where we had an award for the student that best demonstrated— the characteristics of Christian character, you could say. And it was voted on by faculty. I won that award because I was the son of a Bible teacher. And I don't know that I won that award because I was walking humbly with God, that I was a lover of mercy. I don't remember ever once talking openly about my need for Jesus. I don't remember ever once talking openly about my sin, and the reality of the goodness of the gospel. But I did all these things right, like I, I've already referenced. I kept my shirt tucked in. I said, yes, sir, no, sir. I made good grades. I was involved in different leadership things. I played sports. I checked all of the boxes. Well, is that spiritual formation? Because you could very easily do all of those things and not care one bit for my neighbor. My neighbor could not be moved by my own sin or grieve over the brokenness of the world around me and have a passion for evangelism and want to see God's kingdom full. Because if I was walking with God, humbly walking with God, I would love what God loves. And what does God love? God loves to preach good news to the poor. He loves to set the captives free. He loves to give sight to the blind. He's all about the gospel. Because Jesus certainly says that when he opens up from Isaiah 61 in his first public statement in Luke 4, where he goes to the synagogue in Nazareth, and he opens up the scroll from Isaiah 61 and reads all these things that he says he's come to do, and sits down and says all of these things have been fulfilled today in your hearing. And as Neil Plantinga says in engaging God's world, believing in Jesus means believing in his program. That's what Jesus came to do. And even his name means Yahweh saves. Or you could translate it as Yahweh rescues. People that walk humbly with God understand that they need rescue they understand how deeply they need Jesus. Those are a much difficult thing to evaluate if we're going to say we're going to begin to chart growth in spiritual formation. That we understand that what we're after is not students that they've simply uh, performed this many service hours or attended this many chapel uh, services or gone to this many Bible classes, or memorized this many verses. But I really believe that if we're going to say, let's develop a program that brings us closer in the area of spiritual formation, we should probably look at a verse like Micah 6.8 and say, how are we going to find growth in these areas? What are those things that our school would value as we begin to make movement towards spiritual formation? Now, I said next episode we're going to talk at further depth with this, but I'm going to even today begin to say, here are some of those areas where I would begin to think a school should focus as we begin to create programs and we begin to analyze where we are in our schools, as we say, spiritual formation, worldview shaping, seeking transformation, uh, transformation, wanting lasting change in our students? Well, one of the first things that I would say is that we want to have our students have a very big view of God and of His world. Like Eugene Peterson often would say is that Christ plays in 10,000 places. I think people that walk humbly with God and love justice, and or do justice and love mercy, and people that love what God loves, they have this beautiful capability of seeing God at work. That they want to see God at work. That they are mesmerized by the reality of this God and how big He is, and yet He's stooped low because He cares about us. That's a big view of God, and it's a big view of His gospel. And as a result, they care about what He cares about. That they have developed the capability of being excited about the things of God. Someone who's begun to be formed spiritually would go there. They'd be excited about the things of God. That would be one of those things. They don't just know some things of God, but they're excited about that. Something else, and I think that comes right out of that, would be this virtue of gratitude, I would submit that probably that's one of the clearest ways that someone begins to believe the gospel is they become more thankful because they realize how little they deserve. Those people are moved by what God has done for them. If I'm not a thankful person, it's hard to say that I love the gospel, that I understand what God has done for me. If I'm not a content person, and I'm not a thankful person, that's evidence that I have forgotten what God has done. A spiritually formed person, someone that's making growth spiritually, would become more of a thankful person, would be quick to pause and recognize what has been done for him or her. Something else I think that is a very real part of spiritual formation is, is, once again, it's connected to sin, that there's a recognition of need for Jesus. There's a recognition of the reality of his or her sin. There's a run towards forgiveness, quick to ask for forgiveness and quick to forgive, quick to see the need for it, quick to see the need for Jesus because we understand the reality of our own sin and we lament over the brokenness of the world around us. A big view of God and what he has done excitement over those things which prompts gratitude and a constant willingness to recognize my need for Jesus because of my own sin which furthers that sense of gratitude I often hear these schools saying we need to get better in the area of spiritual formation And whenever I ask questions, I'm like, well, how do you chart growth in that area? And they're like, well, we don't know, but we're going to focus on Christian worldview, biblical worldview, and that's going to help us. And once again, I think that's a very important part of the equation. But it could be just a cognitive thing alone. How are we beginning to shape our students so that... They don't just have a bunch of ideas, but their hearts, that's the spiritual formation, their hearts are shaped. And I appreciate the works of James K. Smith, where he continues to say, if you want to see our hearts shaped, you want to see our desires shaped. You have to think in terms of our habits and our rituals, those things that will shape the subconscious. They begin to shape our longings. You see, if we're going to talk about spiritual formation, we have to think in terms of our desires and our longings. What are those things that our students long for? Do your students long for God? Do you as a teacher, do you long for God? Do you long for God more than you long for the weekend or summer vacation? Do you long for shalom? Do you long for rest? And not just physical rest, but we're talking about the kind of rest that Jesus mentioned in Matthew, where he talks about rest for your souls. Do your students see that in you? Because once again, if they don't see it in their teachers, I would say that seeking spiritual formation, if you don't have a faculty that is growing, it's probably going to be very difficult to see it in the lives of your students because Modeling, as we all know, is one of the strongest teaching tools. Are our faculty longing for the things of God? Do we pause and do we recognize the things of God? Do we show thankfulness as teachers? Do we model that? Do we routinely, when we see something amazing, do we stop and say, we ought to give God thanks for this? Because we don't deserve it. Oh God, how good you are for letting us, your people, see these things and loving us despite being unlovable. In the lives of our school, if we are going to be schools that are running towards spiritual formation, we have to begin to say, what would it look like to see success? What are going to be the key things that we want to focus on when we say spiritual formation? I hope that when you talk about spiritual formation in the life of your school, you're not just talking about conformity. You're not just talking about add-ons. You're not just talking about you've got some biblical worldview lessons throughout all of your curriculum, and you have your chapel, and you have all these different pieces, but you're thinking in terms of transformation. You're thinking in terms of lasting change. You're thinking in terms of the gospel. I know that on some of the the terms that I've used, we could say, well, of course we're thinking about the gospel, but the gospel is going to turn upside down most everything we do because the rest of the world seeks to find value and seeks to be formed by all the things that are very, very different from the gospel We're seeking to find fulfillment on our own terms. We're seeking to find fulfillment in ourselves. We're seeking to find merit and value and validation apart from the recognition that we need God. The writers of the Heidelberg Confession asked a wonderful question in the first question in the Heidelberg Catechism. It asks the question, What is your only comfort in life and death? And I'm mesmerized by the first sentence, the first few words of the answer. It's a very lengthy answer, but it starts by saying that I am not my own. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own. A big part of spiritual formation is recognizing how much I need God. The goal of a school committed to spiritual formation is not trying to create a bunch of students that think they've become more independent because of all of the things they've achieved. A school that is making real progress in the area of spiritual formation is going to have students who, as a result of their time in your school, see how much more they need Jesus. That they see the gospel as not just something that is necessary for conversion, for evangelistic purposes, but it is the thing I am clinging to most deeply to be able to make sense of today. That people who are being formed spiritually, they love the gospel because they love the things of God. God loves his gospel. It is good news because we need Jesus. And people that see it as really good news, they're thankful people. Next episode, I want to throw out some tangible things that actually can help us develop being a culture that's a little more thankful. Being a culture that has the habits and rituals where we begin to see the gospel a little more vividly in the life of our school. I want to thank you for listening to our podcasts. I want to encourage you once again to visit our website, www.renew-education.org. Subscribe to us, the YouTube channel, on the different uh, platforms where you may find your podcasts to read the blog post that we post on our two different blogs that we have. We continue to want to hear from you here at Renew Education. We're building a ministry that is committed to seeing Christian education further wherever we find it because we believe that Christian education is at the tip of the spear for changing our cultures, our communities, with the power and the goodness of the gospel because we believe in the living and active Jesus. And he's the one that we most need. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to next time.